0: I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. <laughs> and we love to watch. Penguin polar Bears. Hey, Pete. Hey, Aaron.
1: Yeah, I want to say, you got to do that next episode. That's when you, that's when you throw out the,
0: I want to say, Aaron. <laughs> uh, so we are here. This is, we we're, love yeah, to watch. We love to watch. Let, oh, hold on. Okay. Okay. What? I just
1: want to be very clear. We are
0: here. <laughs> okay. That's it. <laughs> okay. Thank you. We're here. And wait, one more thing. I think people know we're here. We're talking. You it's said not like it first. an apparition in your apartment. It's a podcast. I wanted to support you in what you said and
1: echo your sentiment. I I'm gonna be your flavor slave for this. Uh, for for letting new people
0: know what our podcast is. <laughs> I like the idea that a, a hype man is interrupting the main act to be like, "That's a good <laughs> point." <laughs> All right, go you ahead. Should stop here. Just go ahead, do your thing. I promise All I right. won't interrupt. This is we love to watch. Yeah. This is a themed movie podcast. Oh, you know it. Four or five movies every month. Sometimes three. We try and contrast them, and uh, we try and find some greater truth in subgenres, or you know, just one specific aspect of a movie that happens to tie. (laughs) Most of this doesn't seem true. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it feels like we just talk about movies. But I appreciate
1: I appreciate setting up something that uh, setting up a level of expectations we can't live up to.
0: Yeah, and also I you know I think I think the show is. is an apples to apples type thing. We like to compare things to its its brethren as opposed to, you know, you compare The Godfather to a movie that's totally unlike it. Let's say like The Godfather Part 2. Like totally different movies, you know. One takes place in the past and the future, and the other one takes place in the present. Yeah. Is that the one with the flux capacitor?
1: Oh, they all have, they all have that. Honestly, 90% of movies have a flux capacitor. You just don't know where to look all the time. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Tons of cars.
0: How often do you see inside the car where the flux capacitor specifically would be? I'm going to be honest. Like, I know it was Good. a prototype. I know it was a prototype. But Doc Brown, his his interior design work leaves a lot to be desired. The The, the flux capacitor is just like sitting out like that. Like, the fucking, there's loose wires everywhere. He took up like most of the back seat with that bullshit. Yeah, but, you know, it's, you know what Doc Brown ended up becoming,
1: right? Like, that's why there's flux capacitors in so many cars nowadays. Think of his initials. G-D-M. Whoa! I never thought about that. He makes the world go round. Yeah, so this is We Love to Watch. It's our second week of Burton Batman month. Well, that's and, not true. Yeah, no, it's very true. It's the second week, Peter. Well, this, the next two are Schumacher. Yeah, but we're that's what we called it. Remember? Burton Batman, because okay, he... But, like, I feel like we should air this out. No, but Peter, because so... So here, let me walk you through how this works. So the first one was directed by Tim Burton. Yes. The second one that we're talking about today, Batman Returns, also directed by a little man named Tim Burton. Tim Burton's penis. Well, I mean, he was there on set every time Tim Burton was directing. That penis was there, too. I don't know how much creative input he had, but... He um, He had notes. You can't say that he wasn't present during the creation of Batman Returns. Then number three, you got Burton as producer. And then you could also make – he's not on number four at all. But I think you can make the case that three and four are a direct uh, – a very Situation. much a direct studio reaction to, uh, to his movies uh, and more specifically uh, this one. Uh, where after after the studio saw this one and after a parent's group saw this, uh, Warner Brothers went, no, no more of this. Uh, we're going to take a little direction. So um, I, I think you can say pretty definitively that uh, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin would not exist without Burton. And thus, I think Burton Batman Month is an appropriate title. Yeah, we're
0: hurting for a Burton. Uh-huh. <laughs> we're, we're
1: not going to do, just like last week with Batman, we're not going to do a segment uh, per se. Peter, I told you I have something I want to talk about that's related to the movie, and it's about very specific parts of the movie. But here was my thinking. I think there's a chance that some of our audience uh, may not be interested in hearing about this particular discussion. So instead of talking about it in the mix with all the other Batman Return stuff... I thought we'd talk about it as a segment, and that way, if you're so inclined, you could hit that plus fifteen second button till you hear music again. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what I'd like to talk about, Peter, uh, is something that uh, definitely, uh, definitely stood out for me uh, upon this watch, which was, uh, hey, you know who uh, the penguin and his campaign reminds me of a little. Oh no. Little man named our president... Mondale. Three-time loser. Uh, It's actually uh, an amalgamation of all the people that challenged uh, Gray Davis for governor of California. So here's... We could talk about that. I'm going to give you... We're going to give you a choose-your-own-adventure for opening segment. We could talk about that. Or we could talk a little bit about how this movie came to be. Let's talk about how this film came to be. Okay. So we're not going to talk about... Penguin like Trump. Let me just, just leave the listener with something very quickly. It's it, there's a lot of parallels. <laughs> like for example, he's a disgusting monster man, but everyone just kind of goes with it, and then and then he gets more and more popular. No one really says anything, but like he loses his campaign just by saying that he like takes advantage of the city of Gotham. He says the same thing on repeat three times. It's fucking over for him. Trump never goddamn stops. And we're just like, okay, I guess that's a thing we're just going to live with now. Anyway, so uh, let's talk a little bit about this: how this movie came to be. So we talked a lot about our history with Batman. Um, I actually kind of even told the circumstances that I watched Batman Returns for the first time it was banned in my house. But uh, this movie is a little interesting because Burton did not want to come back. He had a very, very specific set of demands, which is – Don't talk to me. Don't look at me and just let me make my movie because you guys interfered a little bit too much on the first one. And so this movie had a lot of different scripts before Burton actually was signed on. Uh, Two-Face was going to be a part of it. Robin was going to be a part of it. They actually signed um, Marlon Wayans and he had costume fittings and everything. Uh, and it wasn't until Burton finally got kind of his cart blanche that, that he signed on and then hired new scriptwriters. He ended up hiring the script writers, uh, the scriptwriter of Heathers to do a pass uh, and cut out the Two-Face stuff and really kind of get to this idea of all of these uh, weird, twisted freaks in um, in Gotham, which is kind of – and we'll talk about this more in the episode proper, the story that Burton – wanted to tell peter but there is so there's there's one alternate draft of this movie that i find is amazing and i wish they kind of wish they would have done it and that is so two-face was supposed to be a part of it because obviously they introduced billy we didn't talk about it much last week we probably should have um, but they introduced billy d williams in the first one he took that role famously because he wanted to play he knew he had read the comics billy d does his homework and he's like this guy's going places eventually to arkham asylum and i want to get on that ride and um he was he was in the first few drafts of the sequel and he was going to turn into two-face and what they were going to do though because they didn't want two-face to be the villain it was always going to be penguin and catwoman he was going to flip his coin at one point when he was about to do some bad stuff and it was gonna land the good side up, and then he wasn't gonna do anything for the movie. And then it would be the next movie where the coin uh, lands on the bad side and he starts becoming a villain.
0: Uh, that's isn't that insane. <laughs> that's yeah that's uh that's insane billy d williams is an interesting dude because i think of him obviously as lando calrissian and then and then i think of him secondly as the colt 45 guy um and then nothing else like he was not allotted a a big screen career in the way that like you know harrison ford and such were but I, i i think he's really like Charming in a small bit in the first movie. I think it's really good casting. Um, It's really good colorblind casting because there's never... I don't think there had been a uh, black Two-Face before.
1: Yeah, and I liked it, too, because obviously I knew who he was, or what who who Harvey Dent was. I liked that they had a whole movie that Harvey Dent was... Um, Harvey Dent. Was Harvey Dent. You know, that was what we all suspected was going to happen with The Dark Knight, and then he turns into Two-Face, and then they kind of rush his story, in my, in my opinion. But, you know, I like that. I like that idea of this is a character that you get to know, and then eventually... Uh, he goes down that path. I mean, they've tried to do that. I remember, you know, in now, – now it's so commonplace though because now every studio has franchise dollars on the on the brain. Like the, you could probably do a good list of like people that showed up in movies to eventually play future supervillains and then those movies were canceled. Like someone – I remember in like Spider-Man 3, the Sam Raimi one. So I for, I'm forgetting the actor's name. Really good actor. Um He's in happiness. <laughs> <laughs> Seymour Hoffman. Uh, Dylan Baker. Oh, Dylan Baker's great. But he plays uh, Dr. Connors in Spider-Man 3, and he was supposed to become the lizard in the fourth movie. And I'm sure there's other examples that I'm, I'm forgetting. Because there's a lot of franchise uh, stops and starts nowadays when everyone's trying to create a cinematic universe, and you know Billy D. Williams was well before all that stuff. So, um, and they they eventually we'll talk about this next week with Batman Forever, but they eventually had to pay him a lot of money to be like, ah, ha, ha, no, but now that he's going to be a villain, we we'd like a white one, please, thank you, Billy D. Because we're racist. I hope he got a good payday. No, that. he did. They had to pay him something like three or four – like they had to buy him out of relinquishing the part because he had signed on for three movies or something like that. Uh, we'll, we'll have more information on that next week when I've done the background research, but
0: I believe that they did have to uh, settle with him. I, I really like the depiction of Two-Face in Dark Knight, how he's – the idea of positioning him against uh, Batman and then also working in the Joker I feel like is kind of a uh, expert craftsman level – uh, version of having a bunch of, of Villains in I think Batman Returns also handles that well and I Kind of wish that this third Movie was uh, excuse me The sequel to Batman in 1989 Had just used Billy D. Williams in, in a Similar sort of way I mean they were Trying
1: to cut down on characters that's why they decided Robin uh, shouldn't be in it but They also decided once Burton got back involved With the script he's like uh, Yeah my version of Batman is a weird Loner there's no room for uh, for Robin in this equation and cut him out of the script uh, pretty quickly while Warner Brothers was still hoping for him uh, to be to be in the sequel and obviously the the version of Batman we're gonna get in the next couple of weeks is much different than this one which I can't wait to talk about again so there's a couple other famous things worth noting about this movie one do you know Peter who was supposed to play Catwoman and had to drop out I do not so uh annette benning annette benning was supposed to play catwoman and she got pregnant and they had to find someone else and then they had a very big open casting call um
0: and uh because of my age i think of annette benning as like a mom yeah middle-aged woman of of some dignity and like you know emotional honesty i don't think about her as like a sex kitten so have you seen the grifters
1: no so tim burton did <laughs> um, and that's why he was like oh yeah she'd be great and i i think she would i mean here's the thing i mean michelle Pfeiffer. Great.
0: i don't know anything about her young career
1: uh, i would definitely recommend watching the grifters with john cusack and An- angelica houston um it's great michelle pfeiffer is such a presence in this movie it's one of those roles where now it's really hard to go back and imagine other people taking on the role because it's not like oh that would be interesting Seeing that person play Catwoman, it would be like, well, no, that. But Michelle Pfeiffer is just Catwoman, so how could anyone else play her? It, it'd be like, it's like, it's like the Tom Selleck, like uh, Indiana Jones thing, where Harrison Ford is so wrapped up in like what a good Indiana, what Indiana Jones is that you, it's almost impossible to go back and picture the Tom Selleck version of that.
0: Oh, yeah. The way that you make an iconic character is if people go like almost scoff at the idea of someone someone else playing it. Like that's a sign that you've truly made it in the lexicon is like you can't break that unless you're going to really do something radically different. Like, but that's happened a lot in Batman. It also happened like in the I do know this bit is that people were like. When the, the casting was going on, obviously this was pre Ain't It Cool and all that sort of like rumor mongering, uh, the, the mo- rumor mongering days of the early internet. But this Yeah, is, this is it was, more like, it was, it was in the age of it wasn't cool. Yeah, this is more like in the, in Variety and in, in, um, in, uh, you know, the tabloids and shit. People would talk about how, like, Michelle Pfeiffer, isn't she kind of a lightweight for this? Like, we had Earth a Kit for the, the original one. Like, I can't think of anybody else as Earth a Kit. And also, um, who was the other the other Catwoman?
1: Uh, there's three. It was I think Lee Merriweather, Julie Newmar, and Eartha Kitt.
0: Yes, and people were like, "Does does Michelle Pfeiffer fit in there?" And like, "Well, yeah, we see the movie. Obviously, Michelle Pfeiffer fits in there." Um, and then when uh, Anne Hathaway was cast as Catwoman, um, I think amazing casting. I think yeah, I think she I think she's really good. But people were like, "We were like, how how dare you? You're going to put this like little like." mannered really like structured actress that just like you know it was mostly people just like really boxing in um Anne Hathaway in the way that people always box in Anne Hathaway um, mm-hmm. a lot of that is sexism some of that is is women not liking Anne Hathaway I don't I don't know how to explain the women half I know how to explain the sexism half people were also like no no, Michelle Pfeiffer. I, I, I saw like Michelle Pfeiffer memes, like people like were really really excited about this move, like this movie, all of a sudden on the internet when um, Anne Hathaway was cast. And I was like, uh, I haven't heard any of you people talk about Batman Returns in like five <laughs> years. Like, Why? Why are you now really attached to Michelle Pfeiffer? And it's, it's I, I do. I do think that she always, her, her and Danny DeVito,
1: regardless of um, the ebbs and flows of this movie's reputation, I think they always were on some level considered kind of the iconic versions of these villains after this movie that that felt like something like everyone agreed on like Michelle Pfeiffer is a great Catwoman, and and Dan DeVito is a great penguin they they said when they were making this movie that they basically had no second choice for for penguin and that (laughs) that does not surprise me because um, I don't know anybody else that could have pulled off the comedy and the horror of it Well, and if you're Roger Ebert, you think he pulled out neither, and this movie wastes Danny DeVito, which, Roger Ebert, that's an insane thing to think. And if you're looking up at us from hell, he wasn't very religious, I feel like. (laughs) Like, he's a great person, literally one of my heroes, but, you know, uh, God's a a psychopath. But one thing that's really interesting, though, uh, Catwoman... So, Burton walked away after this movie. He was done. Warner Brothers actually uh, inserted or wanted to insert that last shot of Catwoman kind of like rising up. Obviously, it's not played by Michelle Pfeiffer. It was filmed months later. And that was like Warner Brothers' insistence wanting to make a standalone Catwoman movie. And Burton signed on to direct with Michelle Pfeiffer. He wasn't going to do Batman anymore, but he, you know, he was so into the Catwoman character and he liked, loved working with Michelle Pfeiffer that he wrote a script and was going to direct a a standalone Catwoman movie uh, starring Michelle Pfeiffer, he turned in that script uh, on the day that Batman Forever was released. And Warner Brothers looked at the script, which was kind of matching the tone of this movie, and said, "Uh, we're not going to be doing movies like this anymore. (laughs) Um, and, And that was it. Uh, that script then eventually got uh, butchered and cut up and destroyed and turned into uh uh
0: Pitoff's version in 2004 uh, Pit-off. Pitoff I have uh, no idea I have no idea where that guy came from and I'm glad that he's gone doesn't matter
1: you know what that's the one name that I've mispronounced I don't care I hope I got it horribly wrong
0: I hope it's uh Pit- Pit- Pitoff
1: Pitoff Pit- p
0: so he was he was a visual basically P off was like a visual effects guy that's the only reason he was I a commercial director, right yes and he d- he worked on some Genet movies and that's the only reason that I, I know him other than that he's he's done here's what I think about
1: pitoff I think he's pit earful I think he can uh, pit
0: off I bet he can fuck off
1: yeah you know maybe put the pit back on and you'll make a good movie <laughs>
0: Maybe that's the I problem. Have you g- lost your pit. I wouldn't have this guy in my pit crew because Catwoman's a bad movie. Not a good movie. It's, I've never seen it, but. I don't want anybody on my pit crew were I a NASCAR driver who made bad movies. Yeah, maybe your name should be shit off. Yeah. Brett Ratner, not my pit crew. Yeah, Or mine. Kind of a weird (laughs) guy to throw out there, but
1: I I agree. If I was ever going to race professionally and I needed someone to change my tires uh, so I could continue the race, two guys I can say pretty definitively wouldn't be on the pit crew. Pit (laughs) off and Brett Ratner. I need him to kick the tires, light the fires. You know what? John Wayne Gacy. Not you either. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, Pol Pot. Get off my pit crew, baby. Do not, not, do not touch Dude. my tires, You're not screwing lug
1: nuts today, Pol yeah, Pot. You take, you take those lug nuts and shove them right up your butt, Pol Pot. Way to
0: go, Pol Pot. Way to go, p Got yourselves out of the job. and eh, It doesn't matter. Pol Pot's on house arrest and probably dead also. Uh, um, yeah, but he's do directed... Do you think they had to uh, his body below the house? I Pol think, Pot directed something? Well, no, I'm saying that I that
1: I think Pol Pot has a more successful directorial career than Pinoff, and that he didn't make Catwoman.
0: <laughs> Everyone is starting off at like a nice C as a director, is your, your thesis. And by directing no Catwomans, you get to maintain that C and pass the class. Uh, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, I'm not going to give him a C, I'll give him a zero percent. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty low
1: percent. It's the lowest. If you took any so th- you'd have to take away points from other classes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or so we thought. And then Pitoff directs Catwoman loses all the points, loses, but gains negative ones. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this this so this this really is kind of the end of a lot of things, and the, and the fact this movie got made. I mean, it was it was pretty um, I don't think I'm telling tales out of school, Peter, to say that it was pretty obvious this uh, Batman was going to get a sequel. But the fact that Burton did decide to come back, the fact that he was given almost a uh, complete artistic freedom to kind of make the movie that he want, he was able to, you know, fire the script writer that he didn't like, bring in the one that he wanted, uh, really drastically uh, change. Change the plot. And then there was a lot of fallout from how this movie was received. It, I, We should say, like, it, it made about $250 million worldwide on a uh, $65 million budget. So, I mean, it was a success. Not, like, the biggest movie of all time success that the last one was. But it was a success. And it got very good reviews. People people liked it. The, the backlash came from parents groups which are always the worst and i say that as a parent though watching this movie i will give them a little credit in that for this one time because it's true that every kid wants to go to a batman movie and this is a super fucked up batman movie so it's not burton's fault it's not warner brothers fault this is an amazing movie but I could – like, I can. my parents didn't see this, but they just could tell from, like, the previews and
0: reading some stuff. They're like, you're not seeing this movie ever. <laughs> like, this movie is not for children. This no. Is, uh, this is aggressively this is sort of like, not for children. <laughs> this is sort of like Edward Scissorhands where, like, I also watched it as a kid and was like, wait, why did I like this movie as a kid? This is – Yeah. Why? Well, I didn't really – like, I liked it, but but I thought that uh,
1: the original was way better. And I, um, and then I liked Batman Forever. I thought that this was kind of the shitty one, and most of my friends agreed. Like this was, this was like,
0: it was cool to see Batman stuff, but I don't, I don't think most kids love this. And then I liked it as a kid, but that was, that was because I was a damaged broken child <laughs> oh yeah no you were totally you're still putting those pieces together the scene where the cat is nibbling on her fingers is like burned into my my memory
1: yeah and uh and then they lost a lot of money because uh they had a promotion with mcdonald's and mcdonald's saw the movie and said nope not doing that promotion uh and so <laughs> this, Warner this Bros. movie is
0: not a mcdonald's movie <laughs>
1: No. I mean they still made action figures um and one action figure that I I don't know anyone that had but they they made the penguin one like not the penguin but the penguins with like the little <laughs> <All> rocket. <penguin. laughs> it was two penguins and it had it, I still remember this like cuz I, I they were all left at every toy store you went to because no who would buy two penguins with a little rocket on their backs like I guess it's cute, like it's it. It's kitschy now. That would be the toy I would want from this if I was buying it now. But as a kid, you're like, best case scenario, I'm rich, kid, and I get 500 of these sets. But otherwise, <laughs> I just got two fucking
0: little penguins walking around. The thing about the penguins in this movie is that they kind of it, – it's it's debatable whether or not they understand that they're evil penguins or their actions are evil, I should say. it's It's debatable. And so the idea of someone being like – All right, well, I have a Batman toy and I have a penguin with a rocket launcher. Obviously, your Batman toy is going to punch a penguin. (laughs) But like if we saw Batman punch a penguin penguin in this movie, things would not be good.
1: I mean, everyone that Batman punches in this movie, you kind of are like, that didn't feel great. (laughs) Um, Because he punches Catwoman a lot. Um, and he punches um, the penguin. Neither of those two, like, feel
0: <laughs> feel great. For two different reasons. The Catwoman thing, because it's a woman and they have like a sexual relationship and it's like a whole, like... It's a uh, whole thing. It's a like whole thing a, we're going to talk about. <laughs> it's, it's like a weird bad romance thing where they're like... It's like a toxic relationship. Like, the, they, they punch each other, they love each other, whatever, but they don't really realize that that's what they're doing. Yeah. With, with Penguin... And with Joker, I think, in the previous movie, I'm like, once Batman gets through all the bullshit, he always kicks the shit out of all the villains because no one can match him in a fight except for, like, Bane and a couple other, you know, Deadshot, like, but the, the main, the main gallery, the main rogues gallery, Two-Face, Joker, uh, Penguin, like, those guys all are supposed to get their ass kicked when they get found. Yeah. Like they're not supposed to put up a fight. Joke I mean, Joker, especially as played by Jack Nicholson, is like he's an imposing
1: presence presence. He's not like a skinny he's wild a guy. Man. He's a large man.
0: He's very like a talking
1: head You Hey, look, he was in his fifties, right? So like obviously he's not gonna win in a fight, but it didn't it did make me feel dirty. As where when he punches <laughs> Penguin in this movie, it's like eh. You've, do you? How do you feel about that, Batman? How do you feel that that counter went? Do, do you go? Do you go home and you go? I did good, Batmanning today. Or do you go? I was a little low. I probably could have just you know grabbed his arm and cuffed him with my bat cuffs or something. Um, right, the let's let's, let's things, park here. Let's park here real quick. Yeah.
0: You're a, you you come home like I'm not a fighting kind, but I don't think you are either. But no. you, you come home from some from a fight and someone asked you for the story. Let's say you're not bragging about it, but you're just like talking about it. And you're like, I got in a fight with Tom Hardy and I won. People will be like, yeah, you beat the shit out of Tom Hardy. Like, I mean, I'm not like it's it's not, I, I'm still like you're an animal, like a, a child animal for getting yeah. in a fight with somebody. But like use your words. You beat up Tom Hardy like yeah. that's a that's a lot. You do that same story but with Danny DeVito. Everyone's <laughs> like, uh why would you eat. do that to Danny DeVito?" <laughs> <laughs> like, you, well,
1: no, but like, he was when the Danny penguin DeVito comes at you, you let Danny DeVito punch you. <laughs> like, sure, he was the penguin. You know, can he even reach your face? Like he's just not he's not a tall man, Batman, and he's also like in his like he's in long johns. <laughs> so it's like there's a level of like he's Batman's in foam rubber armor and the penguins in his underwear. And and he's outside. He's outside in the winter in the cold. Like I know he likes cold, but like from if look, Batman if the paparazzi were there, you're done. Yeah, <laughs> not yeah. a good look. Uh, and, and as long as we're talking about, uh, the, why the fight scenes don't feel good, uh, so there's a few fight scenes with Catwoman. I mean, the movie acknowledges the, you know, she kind of plays that you can't hit a woman card to gain leverage, and, you know, it's, it still never feels good to watch in a movie, like, because it's really like punches in the face. And then in the second fight scene, Batman says something, uh, that kind of takes it to a different level, uh, where he—I don't—I I don't know enough about <laughs> punching and fighting and wrestling to to get this move right, but it's something where he basically punches her to the ground. It's like a some sort of move, and then as she's falling
0: to the ground, he says, "Eat floor," which. <laughs> First of this is all, not the time for quips. It's you're, not if you're if you're horny, please do not throw out quips. This is not a quippy movie in general, so it stands out.
1: It's it's a very like give and take, like poetic Shakespearean back and forth. A lot of times, it's not like a eat lead sucker movie. Um, and and eat floor is like a Bart Simpson level of thing. So the fact that he does it after he knocks a woman. Into
0: the cement ground feels Mm -hmm. doesn't feel great, Peter. I'm not (laughs) feeling particularly charged by that moment uh, with anything but discomfort. Um, But but yeah, that's 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 uh, that's Batman's sort of uh, casting background. Yep, that part that part specifically (laughs) was definitely about the casting
1: background. (laughs) That's (laughs) hey, we're going on tangents, but they're all bat tangents, and And it's fine. No, I think I think you could call them Bat Tangents. Mm, bat Tangents, you got it. No, you don't. Bat, that's not how Batman tells you. He doesn't combine words. <laughs> he doesn't call it like the bespray. Spray. It's a Bat Spray or a Batmobile. He doesn't call it the b- b- mobile. It's it's a a b- mobile.
0: It's a Batmobile. It's a Batmobile. It's a It's a <laughs> it's He just bo- adds Bat. fanana Man of banana. Yeah, b- he five, just adds Bat
1: man. in front of words. So Bat Tangent is, I think appropriate
0: okay the uh the movie uh is good it's very good can't we talk about it even more we're gonna talk I about feel, it all night i feel so dumb right now okay uh Aaron, do you want to <laughs> talk you just, about you just, uh, hold on hold on
1: what did you just say i feel so dumb right now and then take a big swig of alcohol <laughs> <laughs> that was my water bottle okay let me get some smart juice and let's talk about Batman Returns.
0: Not even the booze. It's the, uh, whenever I talk about anything like as stupid as that, my brain is just like, all right, run, run it on autopilot. <laughs> Peter, do you want
1: to uh, eat podcast as they say and talk about <laughs> Batman Returns? Yeah. Let's all eat right. some podcast.
0: Peter, welcome back. Aaron, I welcome you back as well. I welcome back harder. That's fair. I, I like to be welcomed back pretty hard. Okay. Um, here's what's funny. <laughs> you said, you said, um,
1: and we're going to tell me something. I don't know if that, um, was like, let's, let's keep going with the podcast. You had something personally to tell me. And I just jumped right in and said, welcome back. <laughs> forcing you to now address the crowd it's like if, it's like if this was an assembly and there you are behind stage and you're like
0: hey uh, um and I'm like all right well go give your speech to the entire senior high school <laughs> it, it was an act of violence it's fine um so aaron it's i've got Peter. a few uh, alternate taglines for this film great right, it's you your week something? I'm just excited can I have, to be here. Can I, can I have this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, alternate taglines. Batman Returns. You read about this? <laughs> you, you, you heard about this? You heard about this? This is Batman Returns? This, I should say, before you do the alternate ones,
1: uh, you could actually, I think, in, once again, in this case, we can just call them taglines, because this movie uh,
0: did not have a tagline, as far as I can tell. This movie has so, mu- so much, like, overwriting in it, and so many goofy things, that the idea of it not having a tagline seems wrong. Keaton, Pfeiffer. DeVito. And then their picture. One more do you have to ask. No walking.
1: No Vincent. What's his last name? Vincent. Skelva. I know him as Dorf's friend from the Dorf videos. <laughs> Almost exclusively. Vincent's. Oh, God damn it. Now that I yeah it's shivo we'll say that uh chevali I think
0: I'm really glad that you didn't uh, Shiva Valley too much gabagool on that I really appreciate oh that. Vincent Chevalley's here <laughs> okay you did it <laughs> uh, Batman Returns Danny DeVito sucks the heads off a fish and tries to fuck Michelle Pfeiffer the kids will love it <laughs> <laughs> Batman Returns a gateway drug to being a furry you think it's a gateway drug to being a furry. Of Shuri, the Nick Fury. Let's, talk about that. Let's talk about that right now. The, so Batman is a bat man. Mm-hmm. He's he's a man who dresses as a bat. Let's just ignore the fact that he's not half man, half bat. It's fine. Yeah, but it's like the, people aren't it's like the bird. But he's it's the cat, when he talks to people. Bat. He's not like, yeah! like he's not like hissing at people. Like he doesn't talk like that. He 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 attacks people like like I don't know. He flies through the air. He dresses like a bat, but he doesn't like make bat noises. Catwoman. Have you ever heard a bat in your life?
1: No. Because I'm, look, I'm not a biologist. I'm not a person who studies bat. Are you? No. I'm almost
0: guaranteed they don't make the noise. (laughs) Because. By the way, if you're a biologist, um, it's like being a cop. You have to tell me. Yeah, DM me if you're a biologist. Because <laughs> I feel like if they made that noise, there'd be a lot of Twitter videos, a lot of vines. Um, I just assume they make awful, retching noises. They do make squeaky loud noises. Mm. Um, That'd trippy's... be weird if that was how Batman decided to talk. Yeah. So, okay, we're getting to my point. Okay. Um, that Catwoman. Mm-hmm. She does like, she licks her paws, and she drinks milk, and she's, like, she, she, like, almost meows, and she, like, moves like a cat, and she says, like, kitty, kitty. Like, she's, like, doing all this, like, cat-like stuff, and it's supposed to be sexy. Like, the sexiness of it is being wrapped up in her acting like a cat. So the movie is a gateway drug to being a furry... And the joke gets funnier every minute I go on explaining it. Do you? It's it's interesting that you think that her like licking herself is supposed to be sexy. I think it's
1: supposed to be bizarre.
0: I think there's parts. Oh, I think of it's movie. all supposed to be. Se- I think it's all
1: supposed to be oh, sexy. See, I think, think I think some of this movie's supposed to be sexy, and some of it's supposed to be weird.
0: I mean, some uh, that's the that's the funny part is that where, like but where Michelle, Pfeiffer, s- Michelle Pfeiffer. is very sexy. Yeah, like, that's it works. Yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer in this movie, and
1: probably a lot of people my age, it was like a, that's an interesting feeling. Again, it's not something we normally talk about on this podcast, but I was too young to have any probably, like, like I was too young to have any sort of, like, sexual thoughts. It was just like, something about what's happening on screen is affecting me in a way I don't fully understand.
0: This is definitely one of those movies that is horny as fuck. This is, let's just get this out of the way. This is the horniest superhero movie ever made. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know how there's an extremely goofy movie? This is an extremely horny movie. Yeah. Um, everybody is kind of trying to fuck everybody. Batman and uh, Bruce Wayne are both trying to fuck Selena Kyle and Catwoman, which is this like complicated uh, psychosexual jumble. Uh, Penguin is mostly cooperating with Catwoman because he wants to fuck her and then tries to kill her when she rejects him. Yeah. And then Max Shrek also gets like kind of turned down by her, but she, but he mostly wants to murder her because he, the fact that like she, she freaks him out and the audience is also sp- supposed to find Catwoman sexy. So the movie, it does a lot of like playing to the camera for that, but it's not a love triangle. No
1: one loves each other. It's not like a Vicki Vale thing where... Bruce Wayne's like, maybe I can have a relationship with, with you. This is, I mean, there's a little bit of that towards the end, but most of everyone's interaction in this movie is like, God, I want to fuck you right now. And uh, there's a lot of dick jokes. There's a lot of pussy jokes. It's, uh, people are licking each other and themselves. It's a really horny movie. I can't think of a hornier superhero movie and unless they just make a like rated r i mean there are r-rated superhero movies but like they're usually like goofy and violent uh and supposed to be funny and they say a lot of f words like i just i can't imagine another superhero movie ever being this horny again let alone the the fact that it's a, a batman it's not like some weird like I don't know, like Gambit. They make a Gambit movie finally, and he's super horny. No one's going to care. No one knows enough about Gambit, besides the playing card thing, to like, oh, I guess he's a horny guy. He's a Cajun guy. He's horny. Fine. That all tracks. They're never going to make another, like, Batman movie or Superman movie where he's just like, I just want to fuck this person. (laughs) And she just she just really wants to fuck me, and then there's <laughs> a bad guy, and he just wants to fuck so many things, <laughs> including this one person. Like, and then they, t- Linda, Linda, here's another thing we do doing our Batman movie. Let's just have everyone talk about dicks all the time.
0: <laughs> That's the other thing is Batman versus Superman, um, Dark Knight Returns. Um, both of those have sex scenes. But we're mostly like panning in at, they're not, they don't have actual sex scenes. They have us panning in on like the morning after, basically. Um, with, uh, Batman and Talia in, in Dark Knight Returns, then a Batman versus Superman with, um, a random woman. And like the Batman versus Superman one actually has like some import because it's trying to show you that this is like a dark Batman. But like, yeah, like, the idea of Batman having a sex scene is rather strange, and that the movies are only going to get hornier and weirder as they go in this month. And I'm very excited. No, I don't think they. I don't think
1: they ever. You're right, though. This entire series is like the the the, the thread connecting all four movies because it's besides Alfred and the Commissioner is horniness because. But this one really is like the. The the down and dirty horny movie. I'm sure the porn parody of Batman Returns is less horny than the actual movie.
0: <laughs> it's a movie about like people trying to like figure out each other's like. They're not just conflicting with violence. There's a lot of like sexual conquest going on. There's sexual harassment like back and forth. Um, there's a ton of, of buried sexual harassment. And There's some really interesting themes about um, the workplace and how selena kyle's job existed for and how she was expected to exist as this assistant yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of like reckoning with misogyny and then like some
1: internalized misogyny too because like catwoman is partially like even though she's fighting back against the the patriarchy very i mean specifically it's a lot of white men in boardrooms who are kind of laughing at her and then eventually one of those people uh, you know try to kill her and then eventually all three of them try to kill her um you know she has a lot of that internalized um misogyny too because like she's she's trying to break out but then also scolding herself when she falls for it again and then you know there's that one uh woman that she saves that she kind of takes it out on for a second so it really is a movie rec- reckoning with um with kind of the patriarchy and misogyny and how, how hard that is to break away from and how much that can uh, like affect you. And obviously this is a kind of a extreme example because it is, uh, obviously it's a Batman movie and she's Catwoman, but that's uh, at the end of the day, even if the, it's not all that subtle, all these themes are are there. So let's, let's go into the, the plot let me do a quick recap and then just like with Batman I think there's gonna be a ton to talk about we're gonna have to pull ourselves away because God this movie's so good I, I'll, I'll I'll preface it Peter by saying last week I said I don't know which one I like better it's Batman Returns
0: <laughs> I, I, I I was kind of mixed on the first one I'm I'm with you on this one I, I think this one is like I love both. But this
1: this one does get the edge. I said last week I don't know which one would get the edge. Having watched him again, back to back, it's this one. Quick recap. There's a man. He's a penguin man. <laughs> um, and uh, his parents are like, no, thank you. He's actually a baby. He's a penguin baby. He eats a cat. It's a very fucked up way to open a, a kid's movie. Not a kid's movie, but
0: ostensibly a kid's movie. I'm sure movie. parents immediately were like,
1: oh, okay. So they're starting with the dark stuff, and then they're going to lighten up. But um, so Paul Rubens is the dad, and someone else—I don't know who the mom is—but they throw their baby into, they murder their baby. <laughs> um, you know and- that old that old chestnut um and uh it's just so funny how fucked up this movie is uh this was released in theaters as a major studio release anyway so he then he then shows up he floats to the zoo um and uh in what i imagine tim burton not totally understanding about the character he was raised by penguins that's we can park there for a second because that is one of my favorite things about this movie. Like, he's the penguin because he kind of squawks and he looks like a penguin and stuff like that. Tim Burton sees that as like, what if instead he was raised by penguins? <laughs> Tim, they don't have opposable thumbs. Like, how do they even get him out of that basket?
0: They're going to figure it out eventually. <laughs> you um, know, penguins, they always want to take care of weird-looking children that float down into their yeah. domain. You know how penguins are
1: like maternal. I don't. I don't know enough about penguins. Tim, March of the Penguins won't be released for fourteen years. <laughs> They're, they seem maternal to me. They they take care of eggs. He's gonna be shaped like an egg.
0: Um. <laughs> uh, real quick, this place, this sewer place where penguins live and orphans and weird forgotten children. Uh, my theory is that everyone that's down there is someone who's been abandoned, someone who's been forgotten. I think even the penguins were shipped downriver in smaller baskets by penguin parents that didn't want them. What do you think about that? I think it's a good theory. I think even the zoo has rejected them because they're in the polar
1: bear exhibit. So, <laughs> <laughs> hypothetically, there's they overpowered a- the bear. Yeah, and hypothetically, there is a penguin exhibit at this zoo that they're not a part of. <laughs> like, all the good penguins are in the penguin exhibit.
0: And they, they were shipped off to Carousel.
1: Yeah, they were shipped off, and then they eventually annexed the polar bear exhibit and made that their hideout. Um, so I, I'm totally <laughs> on board uh, with this theory. So then uh, we flash forward uh, 33 years. So keep that in mind, everyone, uh, at home. The He's Penguin Jack the- of Jesus has saved. That, but also, uh, the Penguin as portrayed by Danny DeVito in this movie <laughs> is younger than me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so... <laughs> you know... <laughs> See, when you live around, when you live in the zoo, and you, you eat toxic waste, you just age differently. Like I thought, I thought that I, you know, I've noticed myself getting older a lot more now that I have a kid. You know that ages you. Being the president ages you. You you get raised by penguins. It's like a triple age factor.
0: <laughs> Pwapi, pretty young penguin. <laughs> Yeah, he's thirty three in this movie, and and apparently he can't even run for president. He dies the same age that Jesus died. Oh, yeah. and
1: much like Jesus, he gets carried. Um, he gets carried down from the cross by penguins. <laughs> the apostles, fun fact, not penguins, but wore tuxedos a lot. Ah, very classy gentlemen. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so yes, thirty-three year old penguin, young scrappy lad, um, uh, down on his luck. <laughs> yeah, he's been able to vote in three elections. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, dep- I guess it depends because if there was an, if it was an election year when he turned 18 four but you know, I bet, the, I bet he voted for Mondale. I mean, who knows? <laughs> um, I don't know if he could use the ballot. That's what he's really upset about. So, yeah, uh, he's got he's got uh, fingers that are connected. They're yeah, flipper- he's flippery.
0: It, it, it is. Um, it's reminiscent of those horrible pictures of uh, thalidomide babies. Um, it was just sure. like it, it was this drug, this prescription drug given to women for a bunch of years that caused birth defects. Um, and yeah, they cause flipper babies, and it was it was really like a horrifying thing. That's it, like kind of what I think it's reminiscent of. There's one of the best jokes in the movie, which is also like very sad, especially right after what I just said. Uh, is uh, I think it's Jan Hooks is in the campaign office trying to spruce him up, and she oh, goes, yeah. she goes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Our research shows that our voters like fingers. <laughs> Sorry,
1: continue. But he, she tries to put gloves on. Like, he's been wearing gloves the whole movie. They're like but gloves she- designed for his flippers. I don't know why she's trying to put those gloves on him. Like, does the research show how, like, physics work? <laughs> like, he d- unless they're going to do some surgery, those gloves aren't going to go on, Jan Hooks. Anyway, so he... There's reports of a crazy penguin man that lives in the uh, sewers. Accurately. Gotham paper? All over it. Um, Knox must must still work there. And Batman? Uh, fuck, what? I watched this movie today. This, this movie has a very weird act structure. So essentially, um, Max Shrek, he's trying to build a power plant that siphons power from Gotham, um, but, but presented as a power plant. But he's a he's a evil CEO of an evil corporation of evil co. blah blah blah. Uh, so the penguin is like, hey, I found all your shit. You know how you murdered your partner and you've been and you've been dumping toxic waste. I want to get back in the city and find my parents. Find out who I was. This is bullshit. He actually wants to kill all the firstborn of of Gotham and kind of destroy their lives. Uh, but that ends up taking kind of a turn because. Max, in order to get his power plant built, has the idea to have this son of Gotham, this person who is a major sympathetic figure, um, run for the mayor in his place to be his to be his puppet. Uh, again, a crazy situation where uh, rich, evil, white people are paying a lot of money to prop up someone who has not not fit for the job at all. No uh, business in his, being in his, his shit. What? The last thing I'll say about this this whole thing is that there are signs at his rally that say um, Oswald means order. <laughs> on point. Anyway, so that whole thing's going on. Then you have Batman, who is not really in this movie much, but he, until, until he finally kind of gets to meet Catwoman. So maybe I'll back up and talk about Catwoman. So uh, Selena Kyle works for Max Shrek. She finds out what's going on at the power plant. He throws her off the window. Out of the window and she kind of has a a mental break she's kind of someone who's been trampled on by all the men in her life and she uh she's she's had enough this this was uh this was i don't know wake up call her new beginning her her rebirth and so she starts going out in the town like Batman, but with a little bit of an edge. She's kind of the, I don't know, chaotic good. I never understood all those charts. But she's blowing up shit, but also saving people's lives. And eventually Batman is like, first of all, don't trust that Oswald Cobblepot, think he's up to something. And also, what's going on with this whole Catwoman thing? Because he, as Bruce Wayne, also met Selena Kyle. Uh, So this all kind of comes to a head in that... Uh, Oswald and Catwoman turn up. Uh, turn up. Tur- tur- they turn it up. They get turned, yeah. as they say. Uh, they, uh, they're like, "Hey, Batman's shitty. Let's. We don't want to make him a martyr. Let's make it look like he's a bad guy." So they frame him killing uh, Miss Gotham. Right when uh, the Penguin is starting to become really popular, but of course. Batman also has a trick up his sleeves and he plays a tape of Penguin saying that what he's doing to Gotham – because there is a theme in this movie which we we'll talk about more that like – and that's kind of what I'm getting at with this – this is literally the worst recap I've ever done – is that there's something about like all of these kind of freaks and weirdos can read each other really well. So Batman immediately knows that like Cobblepot's full of shit. Cobblepot has no problem admitting his schemes to Batman because – He's like, no. We immediately get each other, and Catwoman is immediately drawn to Batman, uh, both of Selina Kyle and Bruce Wayne. So there is this like, all the normies are are on one plane of understanding, and then all of us up here are are kind of are kind of on a different one. And how are particular weirdness like manifests all these people that are kind of rejected by society or would be rejected by society is either like through chaos like Catwoman through violence and power and control and revenge like Penguin or through just like his strange predilections like Bat Batman so this all kind of comes to a big head where uh, Catwoman wants to kill Max. Shrek. Penguin wants to kill Batman. He he tries to kidnap um, all the firstborns of Gotham. Gotham to kill him. Um, and then eventually, uh, literally everyone dies. Uh, uh, Catwoman presumed dead. Uh, Oswald the Penguin uh, gets gets murdered in a very gross fashion for again ostensibly a kids movie. Um, Max Shrek gets killed by Selina. And then Batman just kind of goes home with a cat. Um, but then it's the the pan up and there's there's Selina. Um, I miss so much stuff. And if you've never seen this movie, I just confused the fuck out of you. This was literally the worst one I've done. And I think if I'm going to blame someone, it's going to be Tim Burton. Because his movie does not lend itself well to a plot recap. Because this does not have a... I wouldn't say this has a – I guess it does have a three-act structure if you follow, like,
0: Penguin's plot, but everything else is kind of – weird right let me compare it to a movie that i uh also think has a relatable problem for this um but uh is similarly divisive among fans and i like both of them is dark knight rises what made you think of that one <laughs> uh, um i can't think of any specifics about it but it just felt right oh also, that, dark- that movie's so horny too yeah the movie is oh, that's the other thing to note uh, here is that Nolan is not horny at all. So uh, in Dark Knight Rises, one of the big problems with the movie, that I, I really like the movie, is that it can feel very set PC because it's just uh, we need to go here, we need to go here, we need to go here, but there's not like a good flow between scenes. It's just that Nolan is such a good director and the movie is like pretty well edited um, within scenes. Not as a whole, but within scenes, it's amazingly well edited. Um, is that... The, the movie feels stu- overstuffed with villains and pieces and stuff. And you're like, what is the actual plot here? This movie feels the same way. But the reason I think Batman Returns is more successful than Dark Knight Rises, uh, as a, as a, you know, cohesive work is that, uh, Batman Returns is entirely a character piece from the ground up. So yes, sometimes it can be confusing where the, pe- the, the plot pieces are going. What people's individual machinations are. Yeah. But like that's because we are following Batman, Selena Kyle, Penguin and Max Shrek through their, their... own
1: stories. Yes. Like I watched this that's, today. That's, that's the
0: threads. that Those yeah. are the threads. Like I watch
1: this today and have two pages of notes and I've seen this movie probably at least 20 or 30 times. Like I can tell you everything that happens in this movie. You, it's just there's so much going on and plots don't always hang up hang around very long. Like even the blackmailing of Batman is like 15 minutes. Um, and then he has his revenge and then, you know, he, there goes Penguin's mayoral race. And now he has to go back and plot his new scheme. So it, it, so much is happening in this movie at all times. And that is because it's, it's basically giving clear arcs to Penguin and Catwoman and their story kind of follows a typical three act structure. Um, but Batman, who is who is present in this movie, pretty present in this movie. Um, and Max Shrek don't, and they're they're probably in it about the same amount. I I I'd, I'd be very interested to get the stopwatch out and do screen time on this one because,
0: um, oh man. <laughs> Batman like, gets short shifted in this one. I think one. Penguin
1: would be yeah. Penguin this this is kind of a story about let's make, let's start there. There's so much to talk about, so much I'm excited to talk about. But um, this this movie really takes what I we were talking about last week and and ramps it up. Where this kind of version of Batman as this guy that is kind of pretending to be Bruce Wayne. But just just loves being Batman, and he loves being Batman. People say it a lot, that it, that's who he really is. But like I kind of said um, last, last week, I think most incarnations of Batman, that you do get a sense of who Bruce Wayne the man is. It's just that a lot of times he portrays himself publicly as a different type of person to live up to the Bruce Wayne hype. And in this movie, Bruce Wayne feels like a complete facade – that he is putting on so that he can be Batman. And and yes, yes. I forgot about the way that this movie introduces Batman because I would have mentioned it last week because I feel like it proves that point over and over again. Is This movie introduces Batman after the circus gang is fucking up stuff in Gotham. He is just sitting with his hand in his fifth, staring off into nothing, looks bored out of his mind. And that bat signal pops up. And he gets, like, it's not even a smile. It is, like, a look of relief and happiness. And he just stands up really fast. And he's, like, it's not the look of someone who's, like, I'm needed. It's the look
0: of someone, like, oh, finally, I get to go be Batman. (laughs) I get to go be myself. Like, he's a bored bored million-billionaire. You get the sense that this is continuing the thread from the last movie, that... You get the depth of his parents was an interesting subconscious effect on him. But consciously, he's just like, this is the only thing that makes me feel important. This is the only place that I feel like I can really be me.
1: Yeah, he is having a blast. Again, as Batman, like, he smiles all the time. He just looks like a man doing something that he wants to do. Even even a part which I'm sure has a lot of controversy now. We we talked about a lot last week. I don't really care about it for this incarnation. But, like, when he... Places the dynamite on the guy and then uh, pushes him into the sewer so he can blow up. Um, the look on his face is just like a uh, a cheek to cheek smile, like yeah. "ha, fuck you, gotcha." Like he just loves being Batman, and it and that's why it doesn't. Um... Oh, Batman is a murderer in both of these movies. 100%. Yeah, we we talked about it. it's totally fine because yeah. again, this is this is not a guy who. I said it last week I don't buy this Batman as someone who who cares about the Gothamite perspective or is trying to keep Gotham safe or trying to help the police or to do what the police can't do. There is one scene finally of him talking to Commissioner Gordon. Commissioner Gordon is like, "Okay, Batman." Then we did this, and then we did this, and Batman's like, "Uh huh, uh huh, uh huh." Like you would if someone like annoying was following you talking, and you're just like, "What? Whatever."
0: And then more like when you're or like I imagine. Your child who's not listening to you being like, Yeah, yeah, got it, got it. And then you know in three minutes they're going to do the exact opposite of what you just told them to do. Yeah, he's just walking really fast.
1: Like he, it's like Commissioner Gordon's like a fan that ran up to him and he's like, What? Yeah, sure. Okay, great. Glad you're letting me do, glad you're letting me do all this. It's bizarre you are, but just, yeah. I, this is a facade. And then the other part that really made me think that is, um, there's uh, – after after the Catwoman thing or his first his first fight with Catwoman, the papers all say like Batman blows it and stuff like that and he defends himself or, as Bruce Wayne to Selena Kyle that Batman didn't blow it and he doesn't talk about all the lives he would have saved. He's like, well, like, Batman probably prevented like millions of dollars in property damage that could have happened. and it just feels like he's grasping for straws that that was a bad night like – Normally uh, the Batmans that we're used to would have been like, I saved lives. I say I, I stopped the potential for people dying and he's like someone who's just grasping for the first thing that comes to mind because there's no actual <laughs> good reason why he's Batman except he just likes being Batman. So he's like, I probably prevent Batman probably prevented millions of dollars in pro- property damage. It's like, who are you? The real, like, the the Batman that we're used to would have immediately thought of the lives that could have been saved. And he doesn't. So everything I said last week about, like, that this is not a Batman who cares about Gotham or who cares about any of the stuff. It's just how he's focused his his, um, outsider energy into, which this movie, unlike I think the last one, makes a true theme. Uh, out of because, as I said, he's focusing his outsider energy and his like I don't fit in with this world into into being Batman, which in Gotham City is socially acceptable. And then how Selena Kyle and how Oswald Cobblepot do it is a lot more destructive, but. This, this movie is very clear that like All three of these people are the same They're all the same people They've just done different things
0: So uh, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the first movie I really like the tone, the aesthetic, I think But it's not quite as um, Cogent of a piece as this I think this is really where Burton got to do what he wanted to do This is where the shackles got written bur- off It's a much weirder movie But I think the rough edges of it Are easier to deal with Than some of the dullness i think in the first movie where there are scenes that are just like so bland and 80s looking and there's just no purpose for them and it just feels like they're 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 there because the movie the plot required them to be here and this movie i feel like every single scene inspired burton yeah there's a dramatic intensity in this movie that i don't feel as much in the first movie that uh, like Selena Kyle's arc, after she get from when she starts to when she gets murdered to when she goes back to the office that first day, right after she gets murdered. Her arc there is like more compelling than anything in the first movie. And I love a lot in the first movie. So,
1: I mean, I love the first movie. this this, I said it last week. this, I think the first movie is doesn't have much themes, and I think it's just doing this. Bizarre version of Batman and just doing this awesome Batman story. This this one does have a lot more underneath the hood, has a lot more going on, but it's also like a circus. Very clearly, this movie is supposed to be a secret. Uh, a secret it's supposed to be a circus, and one thing about a circus is that it escalates, right? So at first, you're seeing. Some clowns and some shit. And then normally by the end, you're seeing a man shot out of a cannon or probably someone uh, horribly abusing five lions, but that's scary to the audience or something like that. This has an escalating sense of things are going to get nuts because – There is a point in the last 20 minutes of this movie where it drops all pretense that this is anything close to the real world and you just need to be on board. Now, the movie the entire time is like between the opening scene of like being raised by penguins and like the duck design. It's it's much further into this is a bizarre fantasy world created from the mind of Tim Burton. But by the time like. There's just a train going down, putting babies in cages with no police cars and fucking penguins giving his patent speech to penguins. And like this movie, just it's it's like I feel like it's trying to treat the audience like the frog that's getting boiled. Right. So yes. that it is just escalating strangeness until it loses all tether to any potential reality. And you're just like. You either have to accept it or you're gonna jump out. And I just I love how nuts this movie is um, from a from a design perspective, from a world perspective. It is goofy, but it's goofy for the sense of like, I want to make this world that they are living in a three-ring circus that's always going on. Nothing needs to make sense anymore. It just – you just need to accept that this is, this is the world they're living in. And so everyone reacting and everything that everybody's doing makes sense in that world. And And I think that's why a lot of people ultimately rejected. it. It's why I rejected it. I didn't reject it as a kid. I did like it. But I rejected it compared to other Batman movies uh, because it just it, – it, it didn't – something about it didn't feel right. It's – in the same way that if you're a frog boiling and the temperature gets too hot too quick, you jump out because you just you can't get used to it. But what he's doing in this movie is just it's just on another level of of prepping the audience for how crazy he's
0: going to get, and he starts out pretty crazy. Oh yeah, the movie begins on this really like soft note, following a, a carriage down a, a stream, but you know it's a family giving up their child if you're somebody who's raised with the moses myth you're probably going to be like well they can't we're following the carriage the carriage is going to get picked up by somebody you know apparently this is the way you do with orphans um in in, in <laughs> narrative filmmaking this is the how you deal with them um so it starts there and then yeah it does that massive time jump of 33 years And then there's a scene, a boardroom scene where people are arguing about shit. It feels very standard Batman. And then there's an argument and all that in the boardroom scene. And then we go downstairs and then uh, the movie has a, you know, Max Shrek gets established as a character. One of my favorite moments in the movie actually is Selena Kyle, Max Shrek's assistant. It says like, oh shit, I forgot to give him a speech while he's about to give a speech and then Max Shrek gives a great speech. Mhm. That's an amazing way to set up who the character is that he's still ma- he's still mad about this even though he knows he's going to give a great speech. Like he's like, he's like, "Well, I didn't she did not perform her duties. She made me feel slightly uncomfortable for a couple seconds. I had to speak from my heart." Are you fucking kidding me? Like that's yeah. that sort of thing. Uh, and then the movie Narratively reserved, aesthetically reserved, and then the movie explodes with an actual explosion of this massive Christmas package of all the Penguins henchmen coming out, and they all have a. This is unlike the last movie where they're all just wearing like leather coats and leather caps. They're all wearing their own unique kind of costumes. They're skull faced performers. Yes, yes, they're clowns. They're skull faced people. There's there's a a, a devil fire breathing. And then from that point on, the movie is like, okay, things are going to get kind of crazy when they step up, so you better be on board. Well, and that's, you know, we'll talk about
1: this in the next couple of weeks, but I, I, I do want to park for a second on the design of the gang in this movie, because you're right. In the first one, they're just dudes. Right, they're just dudes and they wear (laughs) trench
0: coats. They're almost like greasers plus, like they just wearing leather and a few other touches.
1: But that's fine because they were they were mob members. You have to suppose that like went along with Joker. Like in this one, they are called the Red Circus Gang because they are circus performers who have formed a gang. What we're gonna see in the next two movies is the same aesthetic. Applied to Two Faces and Mister Freeze's henchmen, but for no fucking reason. <laughs> like yes. they miss the point that that this is the, they're the freak show, right? Like, and I know that's an offensive term, uh if you are referring to real people. But like in this movie, they are the freak show that that uh, that, that bind together to form a gang, and they're led by someone who was what did the, what was his like circus performing name? Uh, Penguins, that Batman finds when he's going through it. Oh, I forget. Uh, So, so yeah. So, but that's the thing is, like, they all – they all were a traveling circus freak show. So, the fact that they all have, like, this different aesthetic that they have – that they have decided to go for, which is, like, all the different things that Peter just described, makes – like narrative sense. And this is not a movie that needs to make mer- narrative sense, but it's 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 giving you a feeling. It like it is it is giving you an aesthetic that this movie is going for that works at, from a thematic standpoint, from a meta standpoint that this is a circus. In the next couple movies, I I do think one thing we're going to hit on is like, oh, they just drew, Dressed crazy because it looked good on film. Like there's a there's a hollowness to it um, that that this this that is that's almost copying directly from this movie, but missing the point.
0: Yeah, I, I agree, but I think we'll get into that later because I, I this movie does so many aesthetic choices that just work and just fit within its universe. But how do you? That's the
1: thing is that this for for as much as this movie was rejected by like Warner Brothers and parents groups and stuff they like they did copy a lot from this movie like a lot of what happens in the next two movies come from this movie
0: so like the let's talk about the aesthetic right now the aesthetic of the movie is the art deco exposed industrial look like for instance, Selena Kyle's apartment is—it's uh, also mid-century modern. Selena Kyle's is a mid-century modern sort of pink color. It's very—it's um, very Edward Scissorhands. And it, but, however, it also has an exposed beam that's painted pink right yeah. overhead to kind of show you that she lives in like a crappy apartment. Um, but to me, I'd be like, wait, there's like an exposed metal beam that sounds fucking rad like styles have changed over time um so (laughs) the the opening scene with um this square and this massive christmas tree and there's snow on everything uh really lays out the tone of the movie the aesthetic of the movie because it's white white snow is the like um the dead the the negative space of any of the aesthetic the white snow is almost there to like cancel out all the craziness going on. Yeah, well, and this movie feels not cancel out, balance out. Experience. No, it, th-
1: this movie feels more Gotham-y because a, as you can tell very easily watching this movie, it was it's all kind of set on one big sound stage in the Gotham s- scenes. Um, they, that courtyard where they like the Christmas tree and the, and a couple streets around it, they, they used a big soundstage. Like this took up, I think half of all of Warner brothers,
0: like lot space. Um, not surprising because you can't cast this in real life. You can't. No. It's Um, too unique. There's too many weird features to add too many weird pylons and industrial like, well, like those two, those
1: two lever twins or whatever, opening up the gates to city hall, like, those are clearly re- real giant statues they built.
0: Yes. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. That, that is – okay. So that, that is the movie's aesthetic in a nutshell for me. There's a scene right after that square scene. I know we're focusing on the first few minutes of the movie. I promise we're not doing that the whole time. I just mean like they're very indicative of what the we movie is. We might be. Is. There's a scene where Max Shrek is running away from – Uh, Penguin's attack and he runs past a giant stone face with a crack down the middle just in the middle of what is an alley what is a just a like a back street or something (laughs) that easily could have been a brick wall and yet the movie decided to make it this sort of epic gossip feature. And I love, I fucking love that. And it all just gels together. The aesthetic of the movie is is, is its strongest aspect.
1: When I think of like Tim Burton aesthetic, I think of this movie because because he had so much money to work with. Like, he's obviously doing a similar tone and feel of a lot of his 90s movies, um, whether it's Edward Scissorhands or or Beetlejuice or any of those things. But, like, this feels like the one where he built this giant Art Deco set. Every every character, every henchman has their own design and they're, they're, they have their own tone. And then, like, the zoo has this, like... Amazing uh, miniature that they like fly through with like how how Tim Burton I imagine would uh, design a zoo which is scary to children with like these monster statues and like there's just a giant crab statue. I don't know how big the crab exhibit is at the zoo. You know a lot of but, zoos. You know zoos. Yeah. How you go to a zoo and you're like, oh, let's go see the uh, the, crab go see the world. crabs. I, mean, I don't get to see crabs that often in the milling and about. I just we'll say I man, just if eat I want to see
0: crabs. I go to the I go to the Joe's Crab Shack. That's where I go. About ah, a boom. Want to see crabs? Uh, I look down. <laughs> So, uh, the, there's more than the, the visual there, aesthetic of
1: there's Because there's two yeah. kinds of crabs, Peter.
0: Oh, yeah. So, you have an STD. Shave
1: your pubes, dude. No, I what, I look down because I carry a picture in my hand of all time of someone with crabs to remind myself to wrap it up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but the aesthetic goes further than just the visuals of the movie. We have to talk about the Danny Elfman score real quick. We do. So, Danny Elfman, did you know that he, uh, he recorded twice the length of a normal score for this movie? Yeah, I can believe it because... Uh, every scene is thick with yeah. that sort of uh, that score intensity where there's just like um, a little narrative moment has this like really like uh, orchestral wine riding through it. And you're like, they they scored this this tiny little moment in the yeah. movie. Like it, it, you feel like there's a hundred minutes of score. Danny Elfman took so much love uh, into the score. And it's really great because it like laces into small little jokes Small little dramatic moments, uh, exchanges to not just let you know how to feel, but to heighten those feelings and really make them operatic and really fit the movie. And Danny Elfman deserves, I think, as much as anybody else deserves a nod for making the aesthetic of this work. Well, and he was so
1: excited because um, he felt like he had the chance after the first one was so well received because, I mean, Danny Elfman wasn't the household name that he was, um, that he is now. I mean, I guess depending on what household you live in. But, um, you know, he, now everyone I mean, knows who Danny Elfman is. They know his scores and stuff like that. But when he made Batman, it was kind of like, it was big for him too. It was kind of big for every everyone except Jack Nicholson. You know, it was here's Michael Keaton going to be a superhero and Tim Burton's going to make this giant studio picture and Danny Elfman's going to score this like you know, you think of, like, the Superman theme and John Williams. Well, go Danny Elfman. Now it's your turn to make an iconic, you know, superhero theme that everyone's going to remember. And so he just felt that he had – he was so happy with the response to the first one that he had, like, absolute freedom to now take that – what he wanted to do in the first one and just go nuts. So – yeah, I mean they said that he was working like weeks and weeks and weeks and then turned in this score that was was t- twice the length that you, that you would normally do and Burton tried to put as much of it in the movie as he could.
0: And it, and it works in the movie's favor because I think that uh, in a traditional drama, you want to have the quiet moments, the moments where characters are just sitting there with no no real sound. I think. But in, in a, a
1: circus, you don't circus, want quiet
0: moments. No, no, dead space is is dead space. That's people go uh, get popcorn. Yeah,
1: that's that's no good. I can already tell this is going to be an episode, and I I feel the vibe already. Where we're just kind of like going as quickly as possible to get all the stuff we want to talk about. And I'm gonna already say right now, we're <laughs> this is an hour and forty raw, we're gonna miss a lot of it. This is why I wanted to jump so, right
0: in. Yeah. And yet we also did end up jumping right in we, during We the did intro. jump
1: right in, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of my notes we we knocked out there, but there's just this movie's so dense and so good. So let's Let's talk about something that I think is really important, especially because it's going to have a touch point uh, on the next two movies, and it did on the last one, which is Batman's Relationships. This one is his best um, by a – I don't know. Which one's one's longer, Country Mile or City Mile? No one ever says City Mile.
0: I imagine a Country Mile is longer. You think so? Yeah, because City Mile needs to be broken up into blocks. A Country Mile would be, you know – Unbroken. Unbroken. Uh, their their vibe is
1: amazing. More is Bruce Wayne and and Selena Kyle because they're not punching each other, um, and having each other eat floor. The mm-hmm. only thing they eat is face. The difference between his relationship with with and Kyle compared to Vicky Vale is so apparent because with Vicky Vale he is he is trying to be a normal person and he I think he sees Vicky Vale as like someone who will allow that he loves and respects and likes or whatever else and it will and she is okay with his duality or at, at first is okay with his duality at first at, at first she's yeah. okay and the movie enough, makes it,
0: the canon is that she gets enough of that
1: yeah. And, but, but that's what he's looking for. He's not, he's not looking for someone who's like him or understands it, but like, is like, you know, this about me and that's fine and you're a normie and we're, <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna make this work, right? Like, that's, that was that relationship. And, and as such, because I don't necessarily think that this incarnation of Batman has the Bruce Wayne element there. I think that's mostly, if not all, a play acting that he needs to do to get along in society. Um, uh, in the same way like serial killers put on their, their, their people masks and go, go about their day at work looking for victims or whatever. Um, it's a dark analogy, but I actually think we're in the ballpark with this particular incarnation of Batman, because um, <laughs> Batman is a murderer in this. Yeah, well, and also he just like this is he's he's putting on a Bruce Wayne mask. That's not he he is like stumbling through acting like that. So the vibe with Vicky Vale is like him trying very hard to be the Bruce a Bruce Wayne type, and in this one he just kind of gets to be. Batman out of the mask with her and she because she's the same because she's like split down the middle just like just like him she kind of has this this weird vibe and then those two vibes that they're like giving off on like their date it's so much fun to watch because and so interesting watching it so close to the Vicky Vale one where he's like, you know, first they do the dinner and then they go tell stories about them- themselves. It's like it's like how two normal human beings would have a date. And this one, it's like no one's even responding to the last thing that the person said, but it still kind
0: of works. When Bruce Wayne first, first runs into Selena Kyle... He stops her from, this is pre Catwoman transformation. He stops her from getting, um, you know, basically taken as a hostage by one of the clown, clown yeah. people that works for, uh, Penguin. Not confusing at all. She's like just talking at him and he's not even responding. And I don't know why he's even standing there because he stands there for like a five count while there's more battle going on behind him. And, well, and he's she's like, she's the only
1: person we've seen him save in two movies.
0: Yeah. Remember? I mean, that was the whole thing. And the first one, he doesn't
1: save anyone. Yeah. A yeah. couple at the beginning.
0: Yeah. He, he basically is just like just staring at her while she's like trying to talk to the person that just not like thanking him, but also like kind of flirting with him. So then, as the movie goes on, she becomes Selena Kyle through her her transformation. Uh, she gets tossed out a window by a uh, Max Shrek, aka Christopher Walken. Um, and Christopher Walken is really good in this. Um, He's so, I like. I I love, I love him Do you think he got practice uh, murdering women when he murdered Natalie Wood?
1: Uh, I think he was an accomplice. I think Robert Wagner is the one with an active investigation.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think. I think though, there's a decent chance that christopher walken was an active participant if you know what i mean but we'll say that's all alleged you know so just to clear they did reopen that investigation into robert wagner like the
1: last two months though
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, this is. I mean, they definitely
1: killed two people.
0: Yeah. We're living in an age where we're like, oh, so everybody we know is trash. Uh, but Christopher Walken, my, even my parents who were like, oh, you like Christopher? Like when I was younger, they're like, you like Christopher Walken? You know, he's like probably a murderer, right? Like <laughs> my parents were, were more woke than us uh, in the day. But anyways. Did you um... say when, when your parents said they?
1: Whoa. Whoa.
0: <laughs> Whoa. <what?" laughs> Are you telling me? I can't do it, Christopher. I'm not even going to try uh, yeah. Do you think his weapon of choice was drowning for Natalie Wood? Oh my God, that's a uh, that's. Good. I'm glad you're editing this one because I would leave it
1: in. <laughs> but but you, you got to decide team. how you want to <laughs> how you want to portray yourself hey, to the hey, to the we world. We can leave
0: it in if we have five seconds of silence for Natalie Wood. Hey, she's good in West Side Story. Well, I had five seconds of silence. So, um, well, anyways. you're the one that <laughs> needed to earn them. <laughs> uh, anyway, so Christopher Walken is really good in this. He's incredibly, he's an incredibly compelling character. But jumping back to uh, Selena Kyle, um, her and Batman, um, when she runs into him, he he just finds her like so sexy that he like can't talk. And they're bouncing off each other when they they meet up. They basically immediately hook up. It's a much
1: Sexier. I mean, in Bruce Wayne's defense or Batman's defense, it's, I mean, Selena Kyle's played by Michelle Pfeiffer.
0: Yes, yes. And Michelle Pfeiffer is at the peak of her powers. Um, and she's, she's this is mid 90s Michelle Pfeiffer. She's a powerhouse. She's, she can pull off any line reading. Like, she can make anything sound good. Yeah. And I don't mean just sexy. I mean, like, she can make anything sound dramatically compelling and sad. And, and I think she can make anything sound, um, in some way, I think she can say any line to get you a little bit on her side. Um, yeah, and there's there's a dozen moments in this where I'm like, maybe Michelle Pfeiffer was the be- best Catwoman we'll ever get.
1: Oh, um, I mean, look, I understand that there's a lot of hypothetical people out there, but uh, yeah, probably. I mean, she's great in this role. Yeah, like but she, she yeah. she's so un she's so wonderfully unhinged, and this is where I like. This is kind of an incarnation of Catwoman that's stopped because not just in stuff like Dark Knight Rises, she's more like Jewel Thief, thief, but like uh, the Arkham games and and that's fine. Like it's fine if she's just a like somewhat bad person with like a relationship with Batman, but this kind of like, oh, she's the same as Batman and has like uh, a trauma that brought out this other side of her that she needs to kind of follow down its path you know, that's not really an incarnation that really exists, I think, outside of this movie for the most part.
0: Yeah. And, and, and to briefly compare last week, I was talking up Kim Basinger in the role because Kim Basinger was taking a nothing character and putting a lot of uh, of love into it, and a lot of humanity. It, it made you realize why Joker would be obsessed with her. It mm-hmm. made you realize why Batman would be so compelled by her. And it's not just because she's attractive. It's just because Kim Basinger is a really good actress, but that's a very traditional romance, a very traditional comic book romance, the kind that we would... Last last week's uh, episode, I think, is is was indicative of the future of comic book movies in the 2000s to 2018. Uh, I think that Batman Returns is a weird one-off in that, like, we don't see a lot of movies about... Two weirdos falling in love and having like a legitimate romance about who they actually are, not just the way they present themselves to the world.
1: Well, yeah, because then and because the, the next one, uh, we'll talk about it's kind of a repeat of Vicky Vale. It's like, um, it's can you handle me at my, you know, you can love me at my Bruce Wayne, can you handle me at my Batman? Like, it's gonna go down that path. And then in Batman and Robin, he's just got a girlfriend, which is weird, but um, um. This is, yeah, the, you're right. This is like kind of the only one that's like, you know, that literally says we're the same, you and I. Uh, let's jump forward because I don't want to not talk about the um, the scene where they both discover who the other one is. Um, because that's like maybe the best scene in any of these movies, period. Um, where they're kind of dancing and they repeat that line, uh, uh, "Mistletoe's deadly if you eat it, a kiss is even deadlier. uh if you mean it. And they say the opposite line that they said that the other one said is Catwoman, Batman. And then like they hold each other really close. And like both of them look like their worlds have just like the only thing in their world outside of their, their LARPing, their role playing they do at night mm-hmm. has just like crashed in on itself. And like there's that moment where they're like, what do we do? And it's such an honest Moment, Because neither of them knows. And eventually that's decided for them by uh, Penguin breaking in. But God, that's such a like Michael Keaton and Michelle Pfeiffer
0: have never been better. It is moment. Oh, it is such a beautiful moment where they're just dancing and then they're just like they're like they realize everything is dead. But like they are who they are and they're not going to bend to. You know, the other one just because, like, it's convenient and it would be wrong for one of them to change who they are for the other one. In a way, it's a very well, it's kind of the ending speech, yeah. Continues on in the movie, like, Batman gives her one last chance, like, uh, right before she's about to kill Max Shrek. He says... We can go or whatever, and she's like, she says, "I, I could, I could go home and I could live
1: with you, but then I couldn't live with myself."
0: Yes. So she, and I think that hints at um, this movie has a, has more to say on a psychological level about the duality of superheroes than most movies do. The the two natures usually the two natures are just a cover. Um, which is why it's kind of fun in the Marvel movies when they're just like, I'm Tony Stark and Tony Stark is Iron Man. And, you know, I'm, I'm Captain America and you know who Captain America is because there's a fucking museum about who Captain America is. Yeah. Um, in this movie, they, there's a, that, that dance scene is, is so heartbreaking, and so beautiful. And that's why I think it solidifies Michelle Pfeiffer as my Catwoman because, um, it says that there are two halves. Of their personalities, and they're both halves of their personalities. Both Batman and Bruce Wayne and Catwoman and Selena Kyle are both pursuing that uh, that romantic interest, uh, the respective romantic interest. There's no dishonesty. It's not that that they're you know they're cheating on you know Batman with Bruce Wayne or Bruce Wayne with Batman. It's that their Catwoman needs Batman. And Selena Kyle needs Bruce Wayne and that when those two worlds have to crunch together, both of them are terrified of the idea of having to actually bring it together. It's not just that Batman is like is afraid of letting someone know that he's Batman. It's that no, it's that his moral universe might have to change because he is he is actually engaging with another freak. Another person of power and agency, someone that can actually like affect the world in a much larger way than a um, uh, uh, uh who's Kim Basinger's character? Vicky Vale. Vicky Vale. It's almost appropriate that I forgot Vicky Vale's name. Um, th- yeah, yeah. And and the
1: other thing that's so good about it is that like w- when Batman pleads with her to just go home and go live together in their mansion, like Michael Keaton means it but you can kind of tell he doesn't believe it either and he doesn't have any resentment like he understands that is a man who when she says no he's not like angry he's not upset he like he knew that was what the answer needed to be but like yeah. he had to but he had to ask anyway because you know you could say that this kind of ends this kind of Michael Keaton character and his not just the actor changes, but the characterization of him and who he is as Batman. Like in the next one, we're going to be talking a lot about how affected he is by his parents' death, which he never really was. In these first two movies, you do see Batman in the Burton movies as someone who keeps thinking that he should be normal, right? That was why he went wanted to go out with Vicki Vale. That's why he... Um, gives her the white picket fence offering at the end of this movie like he is someone who only feels happiness and joy when he is out there beating the shit out of villains or stopping their schemes and dressing up as a bat and being batman like that's the only time that he feels like himself but because he feels like society or whatever else like that that he's supposed to be something else that he keeps trying to be that other thing and so when selena kyle comes comes forward into his life it's like oh i can have the thing i was always supposed to have with the person who's just like me so it's it's still kind of bullshit right because it's still he's still looking for a normal life that he doesn't really want, but he thinks he should. And, he, you know, when really what he wants to be doing is murdering clown dress <laughs> people. But it's, it's almost like sad in a way because the commentary is the reflection is like all, all the people in our own society who feel like the things that make them happy are things that need to be hidden away. And they're supposed to want something more societally accepted or, you know whatever else is so. I mean, and and that's not like you could say it could be, um, could be related to like people who are ashamed of like who feel like they're pretending to be a gender that they're they're not. People that are um, pretending to be you know uh, heteronormative when they're not. People that are you know even like. You can you can take it less like important stuff like like pretending to be sp- like sports cuz you are supposed to be one of the guys and and you actually don't like that stuff but all the people at your office talk about sports. So if I want to be accepted within these guys but what I like doing is you know I don't know painting figurines or recording a podcast on a weekly. You know what whatever else it is that like you just feel like you're not supposed to like that's Batman. It's it's why, like, this is such a tangent that I don't even want to go down, but it's why, like, you have to put a ton of thought into, like, what you present to your child as, like, toys that they should be playing with because the last thing you want to do is, like, uh, you know be like oh here's all your barbies that we bought you because you're a girl and you like barbies but you also don't want to be like well you can't play with barbies because she may like playing with barbies so it's it's you just constantly having that battle of like i want you to just be fine with the stuff that you like <laughs> And because I don't want you to turn into someone who – I don't want you to turn into a Batman who feels like the only way to exercise their – is not exercise
0: demons but just enjoy themselves is to is to isolate yourself in the bat mansion i think it's a really great point because the entire movie is about freaks and unruly people and how if you do not express who you actually are in a healthy way it comes out in unhealthy ways in a sort of freudian sense but also how this movie is about People who have very healthy, normal, like drives to like for companionship and for love and for a feeling of need and societal acceptance that turns sour when society doesn't, uh, you know, totally accept them or they're not flexible enough to the demands of society or if society isn't flexible enough to them. Um, and I, I think, I think that's mostly what the movie is about. I think that, like I said, Batman. 1989 fits in with the continuum of superhero movies. The reason I got really excited about this month was this movie, Batman Returns. Because yep. Batman Returns is a weird one-off. This is the most Tim Burton-y feeling movie because Tim Burton makes movies about outsiders and feel like, people feel that feel like freaks. And um, can we have like two minutes here? How do you feel about Tim Burton?
1: Well, we talked about it a little bit last week that, I mean, he basically made some of my favorite movies of all time and then at some point stopped making anything resembling good movies. And I, this would easily be top three. I agree. This would be number three, I think. This would be number three. I'd go, I'd go Ed Wood number one. Yes. Also Ed Wood number one. No, I'd go, I'd go Ed Wood. I'd go Batman Returns. And then I'd probably go, no, no, I forgot about one. I always forget this one. Um, I'd go, I'd go, Ed Wood, I'd go Pee Wee's, and then Batman Returns.
0: I would go Ed Wood, Beetlejuice, Batman Returns. Beetlejuice is four. Pee Wee is probably four or five. But yeah, and then, a... then
1: I'd go Batman, and then, um, and then Edward Scissorhands. But like those six are like smushed up and like kissing. Like mm-hmm. they're they're
0: all pretty close. Yeah, yeah. It's like you take two Barbie dolls and you just like like you know. Oh. Yeah, I know. Or a Barbie doll and a G.I.
1: Joe. Yeah. Um, whatever. A Barbie and my VR mask. <laughs> I'm not just looking around the room and saying things <laughs> that
0: I see. This is the most Tim Burtony movie. This is this is one of the most Tim Burton movies that we've that exists. This is one of the most Tim Burton movies that exists. Uh, it's extremely Tim Burtony. What's what's the only what's the thing that's more Tim Burton-y? I think the only
1: one that's more Tim Burton-y than this is Nightmare uh, Before Christmas, which is not a Tim Burton movie. When I just think of Tim Burton, this is like this is everything's going on because he had freedom, he had money. Yes. Like this is this is the Tim Burtoniest movie of all. You know, it's the most Tim Burton-y shot in this movie. There's so many. Like all of them, all of them are very Tim Burton-y in that he directed the movie. I feel like
0: it has to be something in the last half hour. Bye. So for me, it is the scene when Batman is going down to the Batcave, and there is a completely unnecessary scene of him going down to the Batcave. Oh, the slide! We've already seen him in the Batcave, and it's when he slide. he puts his fucking hand in the tank, hits a button on the front of the the you know house the little house he opens up an iron maiden in the corner of his <laughs> office and then he has to step inside the iron maiden and then the spikes disappear and and then the spikes disappear and then he rides down into his his depths that is yeah. to me the most tim burtony shot the idea of that this this uh role that he has to don is this like sort of like yes it's like this iron suit around him but also to keep him safe but also um it is trickly and painful and his world is his world is
1: pain i also like it because alfred says he's going to use the uh the stairs and it really does it does look like a slide that like you would find it just uh just a kid's like park yeah like it's just a tunnel slide like he's just i imagine him saying we each time
0: because that's when he's happy alfred said i'm gonna take the stairs and you're like, "Wait." They can both take the stairs if they're just stairs. Yeah, well, why exactly. are they not taking the stairs? Exactly. Again, that tells you um, that tells you so much
1: about Keaton's character. Actually, I think I think the line in this movie sums up the Batman in this in this incarnation better than anything. Which is, oh, the I mistook me for somebody else. Like, that's the Rosetta Stone for this Batman version. So he's like a method actor playing Bruce Wayne. So when he thinks about Batman, he doesn't think of it as like, Oh yeah, no, I was I was someone else at this t- uh, at that time. He mistook himself for his real persona instead of like this 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 normal person that he's uh pretending. So that that really is like that's the Rosetta Stone. If you if you understand what that line entails, that's that's Bruce Wayne and Batman in a nutshell. Um we should probably start wrapping this up. Uh no, did we talk, three hour did, episode. Did we end up talking enough about the penguin?
0: We haven't talked about the penguin enough. Um Jesus. let's start here. Yeah, let's let's do that. Um David Vito uh, is the penguin. He's this disgusting. Disgusting fish head sucking motherfucker. He's, he's so gross. It's so. He's wearing that onesie, and it's just. He's just like fish he's constantly guts. got fluid coming out of his. his some face. sort of fluid. It is. It is spittle it's a, at the it's end. Amazing. It's green blood. He has green blood. Why? I, does thought, I gr- saw it as black. It. It, it, it to
1: me... It's it, like green and black. No, because there is green stuff that comes out of his mouth sometimes. Like. Like when he's about to eat the fish, he's got green stuff, and then when he dies, it's like black, black blood. Plus, he has like stress wounds that are super gross all over his head. This, I this is so funny that this movie kids sat in theaters and watched this.
0: <laughs> On uh, they looked at a thirty foot picture of Danny DeVito's fucking head, with like covered in
1: sores all over his head, covered and in then sores. black
0: blood coming out, and then he flops, flops over dead <laughs> with like. Fifty vampire teeth in his mouth, chewing yeah. fish heads, and then oh, like, yeah. he bites a dude's nose just like out of the blue. Uh, he is—he is a—he I- is really is a force of nature in this
1: movie. Just a completely unhinged. He, hes not quite able to keep
0: it together ever, and yeah, he's—he's he's great. He's so good in this movie the movie is entirely about people trying to contend with normal and failing either through their own failure or through normal's failure to accommodate them or normal's failure to accept them so and and danny devito starts the movie as a raving villain he plans a terrorist attack at the beginning of the movie then when his mayoral chances get foiled by batman Uh, Danny DeVito orders a terrorist attack He is a bad animal person From the beginning Um, uh, And then uh, he gets uh, He basically forces Max Shrek's hand To make him a political figure Somehow bring him back You know like uh, He's trying to parasite his way into normal society Like he's like this is the only way I can become normal again Uh, This is the only way I can come out of the sewers The subterranean floor yeah and and then and then that fails throughout the movie (laughs) and then his mayoral chances explode because of batman and then well it's it's his fault it's penguins fault batman foils him yeah because these he he's doing that thing that
1: uh certain other recent presidents have done where he's destroying all the things that uh, people trust so that they only trust him he's he's shitting on the mayor he's causing all the crime but then blaming the mayor on the cr- on the the amount of crime going through um going through the town and then he's framing batman as someone who would kill miss gotham so he's like he's destroying all the institutions that people trust and then say- saying that he is the uh, he's the only one that can save them
0: yeah, it's uh, no parallels to anything none at whatsoever. All. It's uh, that's why it's a fantasy film. Is it's a because fantasy it's, film. There's no, there's no. But yeah, he he he. Then he goes back underground. He freaks out and he says, he says, I am not a human. I am an animal. Like he like he, he freaks out and he's like he's he. It's not that he's getting. Worse, or spiraling down lower than he began. He's just returning back underground with a fucking vengeance. He's like, if you're going to make me live under here, you're going to make me into an animal, something that's subhuman, sub-societal. I'm going to lash back.
1: I think you're missing something important, though, which I really like, which is when his whole plan for coming up to the surface in the first place is... To get that list and kill people, right? He He's working with Max Shrek to let him go – have an excuse to go get the records of his parents so that he can get the records of all the other children in Gotham so that he can hatch his master plan. Because Batman says at some point that – I think he already knows who his parents are and um, – This movie, if anything, is like freaks, no freaks. So he's – Batman understands Penguin immediately. So it's – because it's after that. After he writes down, you see him with his like little feather pen when Batman takes a slow late night drive (laughs) around Gotham – that's such a funny scene. You see the Batmobile going five, a little lazy stroll to to spy on uh, Penguin. Um, but after <laughs> that's after that after that um, scene, it's when Mac Shrek proposes to uh, Penguin that he could be mayor, and then Penguin starts kind of getting wrapped up in, yeah, maybe I could be mayor, and oh, there'd be a lot of perks in that. So it's not that he. He does go back underground with a vengeance, but he like he was never hoping for normalcy, but someone else like with their own nefarious intentions promised it to him, and then he got sucked up in this idea that he could be a societal member with, you know, beautiful women coming to him in his mansion and stuff like this. And then the second that that, that he's almost as like cuz he's seen as a curioso by people. And the second that society is like oh you did one thing we don't like um you're out of here get the fuck out he then goes back and is like i never should have even done that in the first place i'm gonna keep going with
0: my plan the movie is is a remarkably resilient movie despite the fact that the plotting can be confusing yeah like it 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 just keeps coming back with new ways for you to care about Penguin as a threat um and and at the end of the movie he tries to steal all the babies and it fails because it's he's driving around in a fucking baby truck like he's I mean it's easy to spot that's the problem you got a train car
1: it's a circus train it's a carnival train being driven by uh Vinnie
0: Scavelli yeah and his monkey like. Batman's gonna find that. Yeah, Vinny Scavelli, who is born to play a villain, and a monkey who is born and to play a monkey. Dorf's caddy. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> the, the 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 fact that that plan, Peter. Peter, if you had to guess, you know me pretty well. Do you think I'm a man who's seen the the video cassette produced for home the home video market? G- Dorf on golf. <laughs> I imagine. Yes. Yeah, you know, great guess. I have. Because you Vin- referenced it. A couple times now. <laughs> Vin- Vinny Scavelli, uh plays Dorf's um, partner. And it's funny because Vinny Scavelli is a big guy. And Dorf, as played by Tim Conway, uh, is not a big guy. I don't know how tall Tim Conway is, but what they do in those movies, Peter, is Dorf sits on his knees. And they put little fake shoes on his knees. And that's uh, apparently
0: pretty funny. <laughs> how, do, how does it feel to uh, be aware of Tim Conway as Dwarf as a human?
1: Well, I blame my parents. It's funny that they let me see Dwarf on golf, but not Batman Returns. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> even though, even though both star Vinny Scavelli. Yeah, because this movie is uh, is entirely about the tragedy of of. Uh, 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 People that feel different not being able to fit in society. Uh, and the dwarf <laughs> movies are about laughing at a uh, a fake dwarf. So to be, his name is Dorf? Yeah, Dorf. And I said fake
1: dwarf. See, that's the first time that's ever, like, came together in my brain that that <laughs> might be what they're referencing. Um, not great, Tim Conway. Not tops.
0: Uh, so I, I prefer I, Conway I... Twitty.
1: This is the second Batman episode where you've referenced Conway Twitty. I don't know if either are making the edits, but it's weird. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We've never seen Conway Twitty before, ever. Now, two Batman episodes, all of a sudden, Conway Twitty references are getting thrown out. Um, So, I think we should do scenes because... Man, we're just never going to get to all of it. Um, So uh, I want to talk about a scene with uh, Tim Burton has an audience surrogate who's my favorite character in the movie who steps up for one line and it's my favorite moment in the movie. And he's my favorite character where uh, Penguin goes back down after being rejected by society and starts yelling about what his plan is. He's like, and we're gonna go, and we're gonna take all the babies, and we're gonna drown them down here. And one of the clowns in his gang goes, he says, he says, do
0: you think that's a little? Yeah, and then get shot, and then and then penguin goes up to him and says, no, I think it's a lot. <laughs>
1: yeah, and he shoots him and kills him. But it's so great because the delivery on this guy is like perfect for what that moment needed because it's the movie announcing like you want to get nuts let's get nuts let's get nuts it's gonna get really nuts this last half hour and i love that burton has an audience surrogate to be like uh you know this has gotten really crazy right Like, (laughs) like in your batman movie penguins gonna steal babies and drown them in toxic waste You don't think that's a little – and then, of course, he gets shot and he continues with his plan. I imagine that Burton had a very uh, particular uh, Warner Brothers exec in mind that that was a surrogate for as well. I don't know who, but that just seems like someone
0: going, oh, this has gotten crazy. Hey, Tim, (laughs) so, uh, you know, I understand that villains are supposed to be kind of villains, but – uh, you know, in the last act that seems like kind of a a violent move. Shut up, and we're then, killing babies And then Tim Burton goes Tim Burton goes, Do you wanna be in the movie for like one scene? Oh yeah, you'd be a clown <laughs> you should have to wear a tight fitting clown suit and wear clown makeup and then so get cool. your fat ass rolled into the water by But don't worry, they're going to find your gun
1: later, and then Max Rick's going to shoot Selena a few times. Yeah, Uh, so you just
0: have to lay underwater for, like, I don't know, however long it takes us to shoot shoot those two scenes. Do you mind doing that, Mr. Producer? Oh, well, I guess if it (laughs) it helps the production, I guess I could do that.
1: We'll save money and time, because we want to be on schedule and under budget. Yeah. Yeah, Could could you say that, too? Yeah, I'll just roll right right in the
0: water and just stay there forever.
1: And there's there's so many good lines in this movie and funny lines but so I'll just call out one that I really like because it's his last line in the movie which is when penguin rises up from the depths dripping black stuff out of his mouth after this like Max Batman selena confrontation and you're like oh shit here he is and he grabs an umbrella and to shoot Batman and it's uh <laughs> one of the ones that's just a mobile umbrella yes. like a kid's mobile and he goes ah
0: I grabbed one of the cute ones and then falls over dead. (laughs) Cause that's a moment that they basically could have decided like, oh, this could have been a beautiful moment of him being like, I need to see something cute and innocent before I die because I was just trying to kill a bunch of babies. I regret what I was doing. And instead they're like, oh no, Penguin wanted to murder Batman. He just picked the wrong fucking cane up because he was bleeding out through the neck with his green blood. It also speaks to the logistics like you put a bunch of different umbrellas in one umbrella holder. It's probably hard to know what does what. They all have different tricks. Only Rihanna and Penguin can understand this problem.
1: Yeah, because they're under their umbrella.
0: Ella. Ella. What do you got for scenes? My favorite scene is uh, so everybody is turning on a penguin's side as soon as he runs for mirror and it's it is the one thing that it deviates from Trumpism, I think, because it's sort of a pity vote because they're sort of like, you know, this weird looking guy seems like a decent dude. Like, you know, this this uh, this freakish man, you know, maybe he he is a more decent person than the rest of us. Uh, it, it's sort of this like condescending, like white people bullshit. And. One white person says, he's like the frog that became the prince. And then another white person goes, he's more like a penguin. <laughs> <laughs> just like, That like made me cry laughing for some reason because <laughs> the idea of somebody writing that down just being like, ah, fuck this fucking movie. I guess this line is in it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then my, the the last scene that I really need to talk about is also penguin related. And it's about when Penguin decides to give a patent speech to a bunch of penguins, like 500 penguins probably. Yeah, I'm assuming that when they show this in theaters,
1: the exit doors opened after the first week of showtimes, because they're like, this is where the people leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just turn on the house lights now, because uh, we can start the cleanup for the next show. Yeah. <laughs> It's such a good. It's scene. amazing.
0: He, he's giving this patent speech to to these penguins, and they're like, they're all just like waddling around with rockets on their back, and like they have to be evil penguins, right? Like, there's no one at, at Central Command firing off these rockets. I have to, I need to ask logistical questions. So we know what happens, though. He had that button. He right? has a button, but like he's not watching 500 screens,
1: right? No, they don't have individual ones. That's why they were all. Um... They were all going to the same building where he was going to kill everyone. And then like Batman the hacks it to, and tr- hacks to turn it. them around. And he gets his own button. So when the button gets pressed, though, in the zoo, all the rockets go off.
0: Yes. So that's... that's uh, that's, that's The movie gets pretty nuts. And the idea of him giving let me, this... Let like, me. this I mean, all I'm saying is the idea of him giving this, like, charged up speech to penguins that largely do not have a choice in the matter. Well, is, he uh, was
1: raised by them. Those are his brothers and his sisters and
0: it's it's definitely for him he they're the these penguins in the arctics exhibit are also freaks yeah because they are in the polar bear
1: <laughs> yes um no it's this the last half hour of this movie is amazing and it it throws if you're like that's not realistic or why is he doing that you're missing the entire point of the movie that that because you're right, yeah, why do you need all these penguins to go to this building, just, I don't know, throw a bomb there or something, if you're just gonna kill people now, have your circus gang go do it, but nope, he needs the penguins, and he needs to give them a motivational speech before they do it, letting them know some of the penguins are not gonna make it back alive. I can't imagine many will, to be honest, because... Close to zero. <laughs> they have a zero percent uh, survival chance on this mission. Um...
0: And you're like, well, actually, I feel like 200 will be MIA because they just fired off their rocket and then they're like, how do I get home? But
1: that's,
0: yeah, hopefully
1: his homing begins. But that's the best part of this movie because you go, okay. Or that's the movie in a nutshell because you go, okay, well, it's fucking crazy that the penguin's plan is to strap rockets to penguins, have them Uh, Even though they're all starting at the same place, keep in mind. Have them go (laughs) and approach this building from north, south, east, west. So some of those penguins had to take a really roundabout way to to get on the right side of the building. Strap rockets to them. They're going to blow up this building where rich people live. Batman jams the signal. Stops it from happening. You're like, okay. That's the end of the penguin rockets. Nope. Because Batman... Didn't just stop the signal. He hacked it to command all the penguins to go back with him to the zoo to use against the penguin. So you have a scene in this Batman movie released to theaters with a big budget. With Batman. With Batman in it. Batman's in this movie. And the penguin is ready to fight Batman. And he's like, gives a look over like who's gonna stop me you and what army and it's it's penguin's penguin army that's the army that's gonna stop the
0: penguin he why brings why the did penguin he... army back why to... did he do that and then he lets he lets it's he amazing. lets penguin himself fire off the rockets to yeah. send them off into the sky for the no big face. Reason. it's amazing it's,
1: it's amazing that they had the penguin army and then just kept like Okay, what if when Batman goes back, now he has the Penguin Army? great. What is he doing?
0: Well, it worked. So don't argue with his methods. Yeah, I'll argue with his logic, but I'll never argue with his methods. I'll argue with his methods, but I won't argue with his
1: fashion. (laughs) He,
0: that's I another will t- argue with this fashion, not enough
1: nipples that's a, that's another really great line that I didn't write down because I was worried I would write down too many lines but um, when the penguin says something about what he has in common with Catwoman about like um, socially unacceptable fashion choices or something I... that's Tim Burton speaking to the audience <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know I, I honestly have a theory this movie that uh, Tim Burton is the penguin and that like he, he had a master plan to uh, suck everyone in in the first movie by making this, like, dark, but, like, somewhat family-friendly movie, superhero movie. And then, like, just like the Gothamites who are about to get their children stolen, like, everyone leans in to go see the next one they're all excited about. And then, pow! Tim Burton ruins your life.
0: <laughs> yep. I, I think we should move to final thoughts on that point, because I yeah. think that that's exactly where I want to go. I think that the, the this movie is Tim Burton saying, I got away with the first one, all the weird stuff that I kind of buried in there. And it was a shallow burial, right? Like, it was a shallow yeah. grave. Um, this is Tim Burton saying, OK, let's make all the let's make all the um, light subtext uh, actual text. Let's have characters talking about sex. Let's have characters talking about, you know, Batman's freakhood as a as an actual thing. Let's make the movie like make fun of, of Batman a little bit, but also let's give dignity to the freaks and the villains. Like let's let's not do what we we did last time. Let's do something even weirder, even more out of place with what other Hollywood movies are and what heroism is in normal Hollywood movies. And that's why I love it it's a it's a story by freaks for freaks about freaks
1: yeah and I feel pretty confident in saying we're literally never gonna get another movie like this again like definitely we're definitely never gonna get another Batman movie like this again but I mean you there's not that many visionary directors that have an aesthetic all their own Tim Burton was one I guess still is one but his aesthetic is Not good anymore. Um, and you're never going to have a situation anymore where there's like this must, this much money given to this unique of a vision and a take on a household name character. And then position as like one of the hits of the summer. It's just never going to happen ever again. And I'm glad that we got this one because this movie is amazing. Um, and I you know, I'd put this in my top fifty movies of all time, maybe. I don't know, maybe top one hundred, but I said that last week. Like, I love this movie. I was so excited getting to watch it for the show. I could turn it on right now. There's just something about it that is so so different than anything else I ever watched, period. And and it is the most Tim Burton E of all Tim Burton movies. It is his movie about, you know, Batman and robin <laughs> i'm losing it we've been talking too long and it's late but um it, it's his it's his movie about like how he sees himself and how he connects with people and it's one of my favorite movies we're ever going to do in this show so so uh i mean you've probably seen it why wouldn't you have seen batman returns it's good um i don't see why
0: you would avoid yeah this why movie. have not you it, seen this movie I actually don't I actually don't think that this movie is that like um, I I would not pitch this to somebody as an action movie. I don't think it works as an action movie. I think it works as a movie about freakhood, a movie that works about a bunch of weird characters smashing up against each other and sometimes gliding together because of the ways that make them step out from society. And I love that. We could have talked for
1: three more hours and talked about uh different stuff every hour because there's there's so much to get to so we apologize if uh we missed a lot of your favorite moments but trust us they're probably our favorite moments as well so peter uh we have two more movies coming up this month batman forever and batman and robin batman forever next week will be uh we'll have a guest uh, luke skeckington and uh and we may have a guest for Batman and Robin, but it's a little bit uh, ways out for us. Uh, this I'm going to say this because uh, why not? Even though it's going to be a little weird for, uh, actually, it's probably good to let our listeners know. So uh, it's we're recording this very early, um, and we're taking a two month break. We'll we'll be recording our Batman Forever episode mid April. It's mid uh, February. Um, so we're not going to get a chance to do this podcast for a little bit. Peter. So if we come back from being very, very rusty or I uh, seem uh, tired and angry, uh, it, people will be, people can understand like, oh man, what happened to Aaron last week? Uh, not last week, last two months. <laughs> I, will, I will be having or my wife will be having a kid very, very shortly.
0: Uh, it's nice to know that you don't know which one of your bodies the baby will be coming from, but... Um, I mean, we're going to find out when we go to the hospital. You do know this is not a coin flip situation,
1: right? It's kind of a... I mean, right now, I'd put all the money on her.
0: Yeah, right? the, uter- you, the uterus haver is pretty a pretty solid bet here.
1: Well, plus, like, if you touch my stomach, I laugh. I'm a little ticklish. If you touch her stomach right now, you can like see body parts. Yeah, having a baby's weird. Like, like you can just see like a little hand punching, trying to get out right now. So
0: the human um, experience is being freaked out by the idea of a thing that's been happening for millions of years.
1: I mean, it is a thought I had, but you know, I don't need to share every thought. But yeah, so it is going to be weird. Like Peter, we've taken a, a month break before. Uh, this, this is going to
0: be two months. Yeah, it's I might not even longer. know your name when I come back. Hello, co host. <laughs> Hello, Gerund. J- J- Want to say Batman? <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, but it's been a lot of fun uh, recording a bunch literally just an episode every other day for a while to 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 make sure our listeners uh, that we're still able to go through the months uh, I can't believe that we pulled this off uh, without without a baby showing up so uh, I'm very excited to to listen to, to all these back
0: it'll be a, it'll be a couple months so, um, so Aaron uh, this has been great our listeners will not notice this gap so at that, I bid you... Do you think that they're going to be like, you didn't have to do that. You could have taken a break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. so you wanted to give us more trash. Thank you. Oh, uh, yeah. No, next time one of you has a kid, just take a couple
1: months off. I That way I won't feel as obligated to listen because uh, I know that every week I comment on your podcast because I feel like it's an obligation now. And if... If, if I didn't, I may, you may think, hey, did Brandon even listen this week? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, let us know in the comments, should we take more vacations? Yes. Uh, good night.
0: Good night. Good night. He needs some betting and loving on Tyler. Hey, kitty, won't you come inside? A kitty, I'm a bird and I
1: want to touch it. Kitty, I'm a bird and I want to Kitty, I'm a bird and I want to touch Kitty, I'm a bird and I want to
0: hey folks thanks for listening to we love to watch thank you so much for listening to our show and we've got just a few quick announcements for you there ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs baby if you'd like to talk to us Uh, tell us we're stupid tell us we're beautiful the quickest way to get to us is our facebook group facebook.com slash we love to watch or our website wltwpodcast.com leave us a comment tell us we're doing a good job only tell us we're doing a good job we're so sensitive we're sensitive boys we're soft boys And uh, if you'd like to help other people,
1: if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, we don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people
0: involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available, if you don't use iTunes, we're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, TuneIn. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll
1: take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again... Above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.